Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 17, and I'm going to read the whole of the psalm. If you have your Bible there, follow with me. We'd encourage you to do that. Turn to the place appointed for reading. Remember the scripture said, Blessed is he that readeth the words of the prophecy of this book. We're exhorted to give attention to reading, and that has to do with the public reading of the Word of God. And of course, we are reading today again from one of the most reliable and most faithful translations of the Holy Scriptures, and that, of course, is the authorized version. It's the only version that is authorized for use in our public worship and Bible study services. So let's hear the Word of God as it's read from Psalm 17. The words will also appear in the screen. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of fiend lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am proposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the pass of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy pass, that my footsteps Slide not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. And as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, Disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. From men, which are thy hand, O Lord. From men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious, infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Psalm 17. And the verse 15, it reads as follows, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with 
thy likeness. And my theme today is entitled, The Believer's Glorious Certainty of Heaven. Now, this most blessed text of Scripture was brought to my attention three times this week. I believe in providence. And this text was first sent to me via a WhatsApp message from one of our young girls. She knows who she is, so I want to say thank you, Ruth. Secondly, it was mentioned during a tribute to the late Agnes Keys on Thursday afternoon in this house by another of her family members. And then thirdly, late last night, um, Brother Mark and I here were in conversation and he told me that the Reverend Fred Greenfield quoted these words at the end of his sermon that's connected to our planned praise service recording for Monday night. So when I heard this last evening, I knew that the Lord was providentially confirming his own word to my heart for the Lord's Day morning. For I already had these words in my mind from last Sabbath evening. Now Psalm 17, remember, is a prayer of David. And in these words, David is speaking directly unto the Lord. He is pouring out his heart in genuine, earnest, believing cries unto his God. David at this time in his life has been persecuted by men, most likely by Saul. Certain men are making his life hard and difficult. So he's pouring out his heart unto the Lord. He's telling the Lord about his complaint. These enemies were maligning his character. They were accusing him of evil doings. They were pursuing him like a wild animal on the wilderness. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Why? Look at verse 9. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. He compares his enemies to lions. He says, like as a lion in verse 12, that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. And as David ponders his circumstances and his situation, he's requesting to the Lord his God that the Lord himself will keep him safe as the apple of the eye, that the Lord would bring to nothing the designs of wicked men against him. Remember, he says in verse 13, Arise, O Lord, disappoint them, cast them down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. He's acknowledging that God in providence has allowed these enemies to arise and to um, inflict this um, opposition and persecution upon David. Now, David doesn't wallow in self-pity in this prayer. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. By faith, he rises above his circumstances. He realizes his clear and present danger. He, he thinks about his danger. He, he, he talks about it, but he also thinks about and talks about a blessed coming day. A day when there's no more tears. A day when there's no more sorrow and no more pain. A day when there's even no more death. A day when he will perfectly experience a complete and glorious eternal satisfaction in the blessedness of heaven itself. I want you to notice how he ends his prayer. 
He's contrasting himself in verse 14 to men of this world, men who enjoy the treasures of this life, men who live for this age, men who live for the things of time and sense. Remember, he's a man of the word. And in contrast, he says, look at verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David ends his prayer with a note of eternal security and a most blessed assurance. He is fully assured of eternal bliss, eternal rest, eternal happiness in the world to come. David knows something by way of experience of the glorious heavenly hope of the true believer. Not only does he know about it, This is not just a theory. He knows it with a deep abiding assurance, with with an overflowing blessed joy. He is looking forward to this experience. He's living in the light of this experience because he's looking forward to and living for the fulfillment of the eternal glorious hope of heaven. And I want to ask this morning, Do you have the glorious certainty of a home and a hope in heaven? I'm not asking you, do you think you'll be in heaven? I'm asking you, do you know you'll be in heaven at the end of your days? And as I've thought of this text of scripture, a number of things come to mind. First of all, notice the certainty of a blessed realization. He says, as for me. Now notice how he commences this. Here's his closing remarks. He's been thinking in verse 14 of the men of the world. Remember what he said about them? From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, it's as if David is contrasting himself with the men of the world. And he knows that he's a man of the word. And he's a different lifestyle. He has a different language to them. He has a different longing for them. You see, the men of the world, they've got a lot of this world's goods. They enjoy a very good life. They have outward prosperity. They have gifts and treasures given to them by the Lord. They are the millionaires of the world. They have millions in the bank, maybe even billionaires. They live in big mansions. And they appear to be possessed and consumed by all this world's goods. These men live solely for the world and the things of time and sense. And the amazing thing is that King David stands in contrast to them. He's not jealous of them. He's not envious of them. You see, his hope and his happiness is centered in a different lifestyle. As I've said, he's a different longing. He has a different language. They are men of the world. He's a man of the word. He's content with his lot in life. Remember what we read in the book of Hebrews? Hebrews 13 verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. 
and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word conversation here in verse 5 of Hebrews 13 has to do with your lifestyle, your, your manner of living. It's old Elizabethan language. It's not just your talk, it's your walk. Let your manner of living be without covetousness. Remember the 10th commandment says, thou shalt not covet. See, covetousness is linked to idolatry. If you've got a covetous heart, you've got an idolatrous heart. And he is saying here, and be content with such things as you have. Why? Here's the answer. For he have said, or, or because he have said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. See, David's not consumed with an unhealthy, inordinate affection for the things of this world. He's not jealous of the men of the world. He's not envious of the men of the world. Now, I don't believe uh, that it's wrong to desire betterment for oneself and one's family. If you're listening to me this morning and you haven't got a job, well, it wouldn't be wrong for you to strive and desire to attain uh, employment, and you could pray and ask the Lord to help you to get a job. Perhaps you have a poor job. It doesn't pay very much. Well, you can pray to the Lord to help you to get a better job with, with more income. Maybe you live in a, a, a poor a housing uh, stock, and maybe you're saying, but we've such a large family, and we can't all live in, and, uh, and our space is limited, and I, I'm, I'm conscious of that as a minister of the gospel. Now, it's not wrong to desire and attain a, a better house, and that's something you can pray to the Lord about. It's not wrong to make a profit if you own a business or, or you uh, own a little shop and you're selling goods. You know, many years ago, maybe two or three at least, I recall standing at the Rockefeller Center in New York. And Rosie and I stood there looking at this immense structure. I, I was thinking of John D. Rockefeller himself. I remember reading about him on his deathbed. He's dying. He doesn't send for the doctor. He sends for the accountants. He sends for the lawyers. And one of them asked him this question, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And here was his answer. Now he's on his deathbed. He has the treasures of this world that he has enjoyed. He's got millions in the bank. And this was his answer. Just a little bit more. Doesn't that sum up the men of the world? But David's not like them. David doesn't live like them. He doesn't speak like them. He doesn't behave like them. David has learned in whatsoever state he is to be content. Remember at this time he's been hunted as a wild animal in the wilderness of Judea, I believe, at the hand of Saul. I link up this morning the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, in Philippians uh, chapter um, 4, um, Paul says in the uh, verse 11, these words, listen to the text of Scripture. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, 
and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Oh, that I could bottle godly contentment. Oh, that I could share it with many. Because we live in an age of discontentment. But here's David, and he is happy and content, even though he doesn't have much of this world's goods, even though he's been hunted like a wild animal in the wilderness of Judea, he's not envious of the workers of iniquity. He's not envious or bitter about the prosperity of the ungodly. He doesn't set his heart and mind on the riches of this world. He's not consumed by them. See, he's a man of the word. He's consumed with a greater certainty. He's consumed with a greater contentment because I believe he lived in light of eternity. He lived with eternity values in view. He lived with the full blessed assurance of being one day at home with God in heaven. That was his glorious hope. As for me, he says, See, here's the certainty of a blessed realization. You know, I can recall folks after my conversion at 18 years of age. That time I was living in a Roman Catholic lodging house in Coleraine, County Londonderry. The landlady uh, was a dear Roman Catholic lady who's now dead and in eternity. And one day she passed me in the street of Coleraine near the town hall. I was speaking to a Roman Catholic policeman and she came right past us and she stopped. And this is what she said to the policeman. Would you tell him not to be presumptuous? He claims to know that he's saved and going to heaven. Tell him not to be presumptuous. I've thought of that ever since. You see, apostate religion riles in anyone who personally testifies to know that they're saved and going to be with God in heaven. See, according to Roman Catholicism, this is one of their doctrines. It's viewed as an error and mortal sin to claim to know that you're saved and going to heaven. They, they exclaim that it's a mere boasting, that it's not possible to know it. I want to tell you it is. You can know assuredly that you're saved, and you can know with assurance on the road of life that you're absolutely certain of heaven. Listen to these words of the Lord Jesus. He that believeth hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son of God hath not life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. Isn't it sad that apostate Protestantism says the same thing? You can't really know until you die if you're going to get into heaven. Of course, they want you to uh, consider your good deeds. And if you have enough of good deeds that outweigh the bad deeds, then God might let you into heaven. That's utter rubbish. That's not the teaching of the Scriptures. Here's David making this statement while he's alive on earth. David makes this statement in the midst of his troubles. In a day when David has many enemies, when David's enemies are deadly and dangerous, David makes this statement against a, a, a backcloth of earthly trials and afflictions. And it was the great Spurgeon that said, he was living in the manner of a sure, certain expectation of heaven. Think of that. He was living in the manner of a sure and certain expectation of heaven. Here he is, bearing great trials and troubles. 
He's pouring out his heart to the Lord in prayer. Remember, this is a prayer of David. And here he is at the end. He's talking about the great knowledge that he has. And the great assurance that a a glorious inheritance to follow him in the world to come. Over there in the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said in verse 16 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, listen to the word of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's speaking about the body, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For we know. See, underline that, that that speaks of certainty. That speaks of deep assurance. He didn't learn this out of a book. He didn't learn it at the knee of a rabbi. Some, some scholar didn't whisper this into his ear. This knowledge was rooted in his faith, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, in his person and work. Here's the way to live. Here's the language of the men of the word. Live with an eye to heaven. Oh, don't allow yourself to be envious and jealous, even of the men of the world, what they have, their their billions or their millions or their their mansions. Let me ask you this morning, do do people grieve you this morning? Has, has, Has somebody hurt you? Has somebody said all manner of evil against you falsely? And today you're suffering hardship because of it. And you've got annoyance and you're upset. And it's eaten into your soul. And maybe even there's a root of bitterness coming in. Could I say to you, lift your eyes away from those men of the world. If you're a man or woman of the word, I want you to lift your eyes to heaven. I want you to look in there by faith. And I want to say to you, don't be controlled by hate. Live with heaven in view. Let the glories of heaven fill your soul. That was David's certainty of a blessed realization. Notice secondly and quickly, the certainty of a blessed resurrection. If you go back to our text, I want you to notice what he says there. He he says in Psalm 17, I shall be satisfied when I awake. Now, we'll pause there. What does that mean? Well, I believe this is a reference to the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. David's thinking about the day of his death. Remember, he says there's but a step between me and death. I I believe it's implied. I I believe it's inferred here. One day, David knows his body's going to die and be put into the ground. The Bible says, for he must needs die, and are as water spilt in the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither does God respect any persons, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. 
And do you know that the Bible likens the death of a true believer in Christ to a sleep? Did you know that the death of a Christian is, is referred to as the falling of a sleep? Let, let me prove that to you. John 11 and 11. Look at the text. Here's the Lord Jesus. He's referring to his friend Lazarus. And what does he say there in John 11 and, and verse 11? He says this, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, notice how slow of understanding they were, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They were thinking about physical sleep. Howbeit Jesus speak of his death, but they thought of that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You see, the death of a true believer is like a sleep. In Acts 7, verse 60, there's a reference to Stephen. Remember the first Christian martyr. Think of that man of God kneeling down while the stones were raining upon his body. And remember what we read there in Acts 7. It says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Think even of King David in Acts chapter 13 and in the verse 36. We read there, For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell in sleep and was led unto his father's and saw corruption. That's speaking about his body being put into the ground. You see, every true born-again believer will die unless Jesus Christ comes again in power and glory. And the moment the believer dies, the soul leaves the body. That's what death is. It's the giving up of the ghost. The soul in death is released from the body. Can I just say this morning, I totally reject the heresy of soul sleep as taught by the Seventh-day Adventists. I want to say I believe it's an evil doctrine. I believe it robs God's people of comfort in the hour of death. I believe it robs God's people of the comfort of knowing that their loved ones are absent from the body and present with the Lord. Isn't this exactly what God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8? He says, For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But what does that mean? Well, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. In the book of Philippians, remember the Apostle Paul? Remember he has got a motto for his life, a great motto. And the motto is this. Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And then he says, verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I would not, for I am in a strait betwixt two. Notice these words, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, in the intermediate state between death and the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of death, the souls of the believers enter heaven. The Bible talks about the spirits of just men made perfect. And, and the body's put into the ground and the body goes into a state of sleep. Remember 
in Luke 23, the dying thief, just moments before he died, who repented of his sin and received Christ because he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what did the Lord Jesus say to him? Today, thou, see, he was addressing him personally. Thou shalt be with me. That is with me personally. Where? Thou shalt be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul also dealt with this particular theme in the book of Thessalonians. Remember he said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Listen to these words. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. I would encourage you to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, right through to the end. Paul is dealing with this. They were concerned about the dead bodies of their loved ones. And, and, and Paul is telling them here, those which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with them at his return. So the death of a believer is a falling asleep in Christ. And here's the psalmist, and what does he say? I shall be satisfied when I awake. And it's a reference to awaking from the dead. One day, every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to awake. Some to resurrection, life, and glory. Others to eternal death and damnation. Remember the Lord Jesus said there in John chapter 5, and he made it abundantly plain during his ministry. He says this in John 5 and verse 28 and verse 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, everyone, man, woman, boy, and girl, is going to experience a resurrection. Some will be resurrected unto damnation and put into the lake of fire. And there'll be those that will be resurrected unto life. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, and I think it's in the verse 4 or the verse 5. Let's read it together. Um, it, it says... But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And such the second death of no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, death is not the end. You know, clever men come along and tell people they're going to die like a dog. And as a tree falls, so shall they lie. No, the Bible teaches of the resurrection of the ungodly unto damnation. And the Bible teaches about the resurrection of the true believer. This is the first resurrection. And blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And, and this is something that the saints of God are looking forward to. And, 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 and in that day there'll be a reuniting of the body and the soul. If the soul is released in death, in resurrection, the, the, the soul is reunited to the body in death. And God raises up that body. And that's the great hope, or part of it, that the believers have. The certainty of a blessed resurrection. But I want you to think also the certainty of a blessed revelation. 
He says, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Down here on earth, we mourn our sin and our failure. Down here on earth, we mourn and have heavy burdens. We bear the cares of this life. Think of our bodies as we live out our lives. They're on a journey from earth to glory. There's a day when we're born, a day when we die. And along the journey, we face the storms of life. We face sicknesses. Disease can come in the body. People can experience pain and weakness. They can know fragility and frailty. The very body that we live out our life in, of course, is a vehicle for sin and unrighteousness. Solomon said, there's not a just man that doeth good and sinneth not. But you know, in that day, we're going to have a new glorious body like unto the Lord Jesus. We're going to be gifted with a, a glorious heavenly body. Isn't this what John the Apostle told us in 1 John chapter 3? Listen to these words. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's at his second return, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And it was the great John Calvin that said in this life we must be constantly making progress both in the knowledge of God and in the conformity to his image. Remember what we behold will have a great effect upon us and that's what we will become. And here you've got the great dignity of the sons of God. You've got this declaration, now are we the sons of God. Even though it doesn't appear that we're, we're because we're different from men of the world. And you think of the destiny here. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then you think of the duty here. Let everyone that has this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. The Lord Jesus is going to change our vile body and fashion it unto his glorious heavenly body. See, the Lord Jesus not only died to save our souls, but I believe he also died on the cross to save our bodies so that we can have a part in the first resurrection. Remember what we read there in Romans chapter 8? Listen to these words in Romans chapter 8 and in the verse 23, a very important text of Scripture. I would encourage you to underline it. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, now that's the glorified state of the believer. Remember, God said, let us make man in our image. And we're made in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. That's why I believe in the human dignity of all men. All lives matter, regardless of the color of your skin. All men are equal under the law. All men must be subject to the law. No man's above the law. But, but God has made us, and he made Adam with perfect knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We, we were made to be moral creatures. We were made to be spiritual creatures with a capacity for worshiping our God. 
But I want you to think of something more wonderful. Remember, God the Son came in human flesh, two natures and one body forever. And there's the very consummation of God's redemptive purposes. Because God is not only going to change us morally and spiritually and renew us in perfect knowledge and righteousness and holiness in conformity to his Son, but even physically. Physically will be perfect in the image of the glorious body of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, but we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed at the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Oh, death is not the end. Death is not victorious. Neither is the grave, nor sin, nor the law, nor the devil. Death is not soul sleep or annihilation. Death is defeated. Christ has defeated death by his own death. And he gives to every believer in Christ a perfect, wonderful victory in himself. What satisfies you? Are you a man of the world? Are you living for the things of time and sense? Do you have a, 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 a heart that's yanking and, and, and desiring after the riches of this world? Here's what satisfied David. I shall be satisfied when I awake with what? With thy likeness. There's the certainty of a blessed revelation. Could I close this morning with this thought? The blessedness or the certainty of a blessed resolution. If you look at our text, he says this, I will behold thy face in righteousness. What's this speaking about? It's speaking about having unbroken, unbridled, unblemished fellowship with God in heaven. You know, in heaven we're going to see God face to face. Revelation 22 and 4 says, they shall see his face. Well, what's the glory of heaven this morning? Oh, it's not the pearly hung gates. It's not the golden streets. It's not even the tree of life. It's not even the angels that's there. It's not even the crowns that adorn the brows of believers. Of course, I believe that they'll cast those crowns at Jesus' feet. Because the, the central glory of heaven is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Samuel Rutherford's hymn, The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. You see, he's the only visible representation of God in heaven. He is the eternal incarnate word. He, he's the very image of God. And you know, those that end up in heaven, they're going to behold the Savior face to face. His smile, his smiling face will be the first to welcome me. Remember in the book of Job, if you think of Job, many years long before David, he had this glorious hope. This thought in mind, this is what he said in Job chapter 19 and in the verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. He believed in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He believed in his glorious return that he was coming back to the Mount of Olives. And he says, and though after my skin worms destroy this body. What is that? That's death. That's him being buried. That's decay and corruption. Notice these words. Yet in my flesh, 
shall I see God. Yet in my flesh is a reference to bodily resurrection. And what's he going to do when he's bodily raised from the dead? Shall I see God? Whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. I will behold thy face in righteousness. You see, if you're in Christ, you've already received the garment of imputed righteousness and justification. The garment of righteousness has been implanted within you in regeneration. The garment of righteousness has been imparted to you in the great process of sanctification. You're dying unto sin. You're living unto righteousness. But it's more than that. You'll have a glorious perfect conformity to Christ something that's away beyond our wildest dream and imagination in this world where we have perfect communion fellowship, knowledge, holiness peace and we, and, 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 and we live with unsinning hearts seeing and beholding the face of our Lord Jesus Christ remember the Bible says as I finish in Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Dressed in the glorious, perfect righteousness of God before the face of Jesus Christ. You're living on earth now. I want to ask, do you living in light of eternity? Are you saved? Are you a true believer in Christ? Have you got a personal testimony to the saving and keeping power of God? Could you say, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Are you ready for death? Are you ready for the world to come? Will you, will you meet God face to face in heaven? What are you living for? Think of what you're doing today. Think of what you're saying. Think of the places that you're going. And ask yourself, am I living in light of eternity? Have I repented of my sin? Have I received Jesus Christ? What is my portion in life? Are you a man of the world? Well, have your belly filled now? You'll have riches. You'll have a mansion. You'll have money in the bank. But you're not a man of the word. Oh, I, I want to tell you. There's a little hymn that says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches and told. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world could offer me. And I want to tell you, if you're a believer and you're listening to me, and you're saying, thank God I've got a personal testimony. I'm saved. I'm ready for heaven and home. Could I say to you, well, could we not all say in truth, I wish I had given him more. I wish I'd done more for the Lord. You see, we're living out our life on earth, but we're meant to be living in light of eternity. And you know, the first thing we're going to do in heaven is look into his face, into the face of Jesus Christ. Will we not have tears in our eyes? Does it not say, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes? Oh, the tears of joy. But what of the tears of a missed opportunity? Well, what of the tears of a wasted life? What of the tears of being cold and backslidden and carnal in our hearts? Oh, may the Lord have mercy on us. I commend this little sermon to you today. The certainty of a blessed realization. Are you a man of the word or a man of the world? Do you know anything of the certainty of a blessed resurrection? Can you say, I shall be satisfied when I awake? Do you know anything of the blessed revelation 
It's with Christ's likeness that you'll awaken heaven. Have you got this resolution in your heart? I will behold thy face in righteousness. May you live to see the smiling, scarred, wounded face of the Lord Jesus in resurrection glory. Thank you for listening today. May the Lord bless you.